iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You're listening to The Times. Go to thetimes.co.uk. Your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times now comes with access to every Barclays Premier League goal. Refresh your app, choose your team, accept notification, and you're away. All with our award-winning commentary, opinion, and insights. Every goal, every game, everywhere. The Times and The Sunday Times, now with goals. Good evening. Thank you all for coming tonight. It's uh, great to be here in the great city of, uh, of Manchester, the great northwest of, of England. And I'm really excited because um, I often, on the game podcast, I often only get to uh, hear Ollie's voice, whereas tonight I get to see Oliver Kay as well. And um, if you could join me in applauding, it's Oliver Kay, the chief football writer at the Times, or some, some title like that. Ollie, please come and join me up here on stage. Joining Ollie on the panel is our, our local man in this part of the country. Um, you may be familiar with him. If you're not, feel free to walk up to him afterwards and uh, ask him all sorts of highly detailed questions about Wigan's reserve team. He especially likes that. It's James Ducker. And finally, uh, in these situations, you normally say he doesn't need any introductions. I'd be very disappointed if you didn't know who this gentleman was. Uh, let me just say that I believe only one person in the history of the Premier League, which I know only goes back 20 years, but this is when it got really, really good, or so they tell me, only one person has ever scored more Premier League goals than he has. It's Andy Cole. Can we have some applause, please, for a treble winner? Thank you. Okay, now, um, you guys may have, have heard the podcast. We're going to be a little bit looser tonight, but as uh, our producer, Chris Skinner, said, we still want to maintain a little bit of discipline. Um, so we're going to look, at, look locally uh, at Manchester United and City in our first half of, uh, of this podcast. Just so I get a sense, how many can I have a show of hands of... Who here is not a City or a Manchester United supporter? Okay, all right, this is a diverse crowd. We thought you'd all be red or blue, but should we change the agenda? Do we not want to talk about small clubs? Like, all right, can we have a show of hands of United supporters? All right, I sense City might be in the minority here. City fans? 
Okay, all three of you, all right. Okay, see, like, Andy smiling, grinning. Um, I'm sorry? Exactly, exactly. They're, they're, they're more that, that sort of genre. Um, but so let's start out with uh, the better represented, better supported team here tonight, uh, Manchester United. Uh, so many people have weighed in on this. There's obviously been a transition this year from a guy who was there for some time. Um, Andy, I'm going to give you a hypothetical question. If, if you were still playing, David Moyes had come to you, say, in preseason training, and he'd come to you and, and he'd said, Andy, you're still playing, you're one of my players. What are you expecting of me this year? What would you have said to him? As a player? Yeah, assuming he was still your boss. But uh, he wanted an honest answer. To, to be fair, I, I would be very surprised if, um, if I was still playing and a manager asked me what he's expected of me, because I know I'm, I'm expecting myself. Uh, first and foremost. No, no, what you're expecting of him. Well, it's not for you to question the manager, is it? <laughs> it's, what, 10 years under Sir Alex? Is that, yeah. well, exactly. <laughs> you know, you, you never question him. I, 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 I think as, as a manager, regardless of what football team is, a new manager comes in, you know what to expect from a, a new manager. And as a manager, he knows what to expect from his players. But it's just um, it's a diff difficult scenario, him coming in to Manchester United. To replace Alex Ferguson after 26 years, tough period. You know, it, um, that should have come with a warning hazard, dangerous, <laughs> you know? And, and it, it was gonna be very, very tough for whoever come in to replace him. David Moyes is coming and he's found it very, very tough because Manchester United to Everton, not being disrespectful, the comparison is, is zero because you have one team who been dominated the Premiership for what, 20 years, virtually 20 years. Uh, they've had a couple of blitz when they've not won the championship, and a team that has done well to finish mid-table or in the top half of the table. So it's very, very tough for them. Ollie, I'm going to throw, so, throw the same question to you. If David Moyes had come to you and said, "What do you expect from me this season?" As a journalist, or well, as, as somebody who knows football, who knows football, if he'd come to you and says, "What do you think will happen to me this season? What, how do you think I'm going to handle crises? How I'm going to handle situations? And where do you think I will finish?" What would you have told him? Well, I, I would be surprised and unnerved if, if a manager was asking that. Mm. But I think it's I think it's relevant in this case because I think Moyes has gone there rather than feeling I'm going to be my own man. I, th I think he's gone in there with preconceptions or, or concerns about having to fit a certain mould you've been you, you know, you're stepping into the, the shoes of a legend a guy who's been there 26 years who's won everything and you've been handpicked by him he's still on the board you've got all these players who are only ever who've only I mean even Ryan Giggs who's been playing you know, 22 years what is it, 23 years in the first team he's only ever been used to one manager and it must be incredibly it must be a real culture shock for them to be um, uh, adjusting to another manager so I can understand why Moyes would think how do I have to be what, what do they want me to be but I, I don't think that approach is particularly working I think if he's going to make it work which I think it's reaching a stage where it probably is if um, I think he's got to have a real crack at being his own man and not worry about treading on eggshells not worrying about 
putting people's noses out of joint, not worry about offending some of the senior players who perhaps haven't pulled their weight this season. And he needs to make his imprint on, on that team because right now his imprint just isn't there. James, on the back of what Ollie's saying, I, I, I kind of get the sense that you know, in football, managers come and go, situations change, but we kind of generally get the same archetypes or, or the same stories over and over again. Here, there's no blueprint because there's never been anybody like Sir Alex Ferguson. There may never be again. So it's not as if David Moyes can look at other situations and say, all right, well, this guy did that. This, guy, this is how you go and you replace somebody after 26 years. I mean, do you get the sense that he went into it flying blind and he could do, all he could do is, is, is basically the best he can, but there was no right way to relate yourself to the players, no right way to pick your coaching staff. Obviously, some people have opined that, that maybe it was a mistake to, let, to, to change a lot of the backroom staff and so on. Is that what he was thrown into? I don't, I don't agree with that necessarily. I think, I think if you are a top elite manager, you have sort of complete conviction in your beliefs, and it doesn't really matter what has sort of preceded you. you. You know, you will believe that you can do things the right way. I think my concern with 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 David Moyes, and this sort of goes back to, you know, his time at Everton, is that a top manager, and it doesn't necessarily have to be in football; it can be in any sort of walk of life. I'd say two of the key key sort of characteristics that they have are, are an extreme decisiveness. An absolute sort of conviction in their in their beliefs, and and the second is that they are sort of risk takers, that they are that they are gamblers. I sense you're will... about to tell me that David Moyes doesn't fit well, the mold. Well, I, I think I mean I'll give you you look at I mean obviously the obvious comparison is Jose Mourinho because um, he was he was heavily discussed. Um, David Gill and and Sir Bobby Charlton were as determined not to have him as 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 as, um, as Sir Alex Ferguson. Um, but a lot of obviously people saw the game, the Chelsea game on Monday night and and uh, complete sort of conviction in, in attitude and in, in method and application. I think one of the great examples and a great contrast with, with Moyes is Mourinho went into Chelsea with a pre conceived idea to jettison Juan Mata who was the, the, the club's player of the year in the previous two seasons now whatever the rights and wrongs of that decision the absolute sort of conviction to get rid of a player of that quality I mean just just sort of smacks of sheer, sheer belief and in a, in a sort of a perverse way the players must look at that I think you know wow whereas the contrast I would say with, with Moyes is that he's deferred a lot um, I think there's, there's a lot there's a lot to recommend him but I sometimes worry this season that he's wavered too much, that he's not followed his gut on things and that he's trying to sort of please, he's trying to sort of, you know, look to other people. And I remember on the, the pre-season tour to Asia and Australia, he did say to us, I'm, I'm going to have to take my lead from, from players in the dressing room. You know, some of them have won 10, 12 Premier League titles. I, you know, I've not, I've not won anything. I'm going to have to learn a lot from them. And, I just sort of sense there was a, way, sort of a wavering of sort of belief in the early start, and, and there's, he has made some very good decisions. He has made some very decisive decisions, but there's been a lot there. There seems to be a, a lot of muddled thinking. I, Andy, I want to get your take on it, but what, what James just said, because it's it's interesting. Because I mean, even if you've not been a footballer, I mean, we all, most of us, I assume, have bosses, and sometimes your boss comes to you and says, "What do you think?" In this case, James outlined 
Moy saying publicly, you know, take, I'll have to take my lead from some of the veteran players here. You obviously haven't just worked for Sir Alex. I think you get the impression that he wasn't the kind of guy who may necessarily went and did that. You've worked with other managers. Mm -hmm. As a player, how do, how, do you, how do you handle that? Have you been in those situations where people have wanted your input because ultimately you're there on the, on the front lines? Would you think maybe slightly less of somebody if they, if they came uh, to you? Uh, no, not at all. I think when you, when you get to that um, senior statesman, I, you're getting on in age and <clears throat> you've been at Manchester United for numerous amount of years. A new manager comes in, a new player comes in. You look into those senior players, you know, you look into them to, to try and gain from their experience how do you go about certain things being at Manchester United. Manchester United is a huge football club. And we're not just talking on the green grass of Old Trafford, we're talking about everything about the football club. So you're always looking to someone to try and explain certain things, to try and make you a better person, try and make you get there to win as many games as possible. So you will always draw upon the experience from your squad and that's what it's all about. It's, uh, it, it's an interesting point. I'm, I'm, I'm curious now, on the back of what James, uh, or what Ollie said, uh, and James actually, about Mourinho. Can I get a show of hands from the United fans here? Who here thinks that United would have made a better decision by appointing um, Jose Mourinho instead of David Moyes? Who does not? All right, and, and this is this is this is a strictly controlled group of just United fans. I think it's fair to say it's edging towards Mourinho, not the right choice. Does that surprise you, Ollie? Well, for the benefit of those listening, it's probably I, I thought it's probably about half and half. Um, I think it was more like 50, 52, well, 48. Okay, well, yeah. <laughs> so I use the term edging. Fairly near, fairly near. Okay, but it's not the unanimous Mourinho no, loving. No. You read some national media, you get the impression that this guy walks on water and only he can achieve certain things when, you know. Yeah, I, I was, I mean, we had years and years and years to think about what, what would happen when Fergie left and who would the ideal choice be. Um, I wrote on a few occasions when it was, when it was relevant, when Mourinho was sort of... Um, Flirting a bit with United and fluttering his eyebrows and and you know talking about how um, a big job needs needs a big main you know big name big manager and how it would take a special manager to follow in Ferguson's shoes and I I was always of the view that Mourinho wouldn't be right for United. Um, I have little doubt that Mourinho would have made a better start than Moyes has done. But I mean we can we can never really say he would have been the, the right man. I, I think Mourinho is somebody who goes in to a club, makes a fantastic impact, and probably that lasts about two years. Mm -hmm. If you look at Chelsea, you look at Inter, you look at uh, Real Madrid, uh, Porto slightly different because he left on a, you know, a real high with them. But I think a lot of United's philosophy, you go, I mean, maybe, maybe this is really living in the past, but you look at United's philosophy and it's you know, Busby, Ferguson, you look at, it's about youth, it's about mm -hmm. a certain daredevil style. Um, and that is what I associate with United. And you, you could legitimately say, well, is that really David Moyes? I don't know, but it, it, I, I don't think that's the Mourinho style. And for various reasons, I didn't think Mourinho was right for United, but to be honest, I didn't think anybody was right for United. I think, I think it would have suited United for Ferguson to stay there forever and ever and ever, and, uh, and um, if they could sort of cry, cryogenically frozen him and, um, when the day came. Um, no, but it, it is, 
very difficult to think of anybody who would have gone in and avoided a sort of post-Ferguson drop-off. Now, one, uh, uh, one area which, which I think was really affected um, was the fact that it wasn't just Sir Alex leaving, it was also the chief executive, David Gill, leaving at the and the Kitman as well, Albert Morgan, the Kitman. The Kitman, Albert, yes. I'm sure Andy will regale us with stories of Albert afterwards. But So you've had these three key individuals leave the club uh, at the same time. And one of the things that Moyes got absolutely slaughtered for in the summer, along with, uh, with Ed Woodward, was their transfer policy, the fact that the hemming and hawing, the needlessly spending £4 million more for Fellaini, some people thought Fellaini himself, I want to throw this to you, James, because one of the stories I was told by people who deal with United, and I want to see to what degree it's verifiable, is that Woodward, in part, got the job to replace Gill because he said they would be doing much more dealing directly with clubs. They would be cutting out certain middlemen who were sort of in and around um, United before and who helped deliver players. Um, one obvious middleman might have come along with Mourinho as part of the furniture. Uh, is that the case, and is that part of the reason why they seem to have so much trouble signing um, signing players in the summer? And even the Mata deal, the way it was all sort of conducted, just with you know things written down on paper rather than face to face. Yeah, I think I mean in the final years of the sort of Ferguson uh, Gill regime, they'd, they'd really worked towards. Um, creating a situation where they could cut out as many agents and as many middlemen as possible uh, and they pulled the plug they canned so many deals because they weren't I mean uh, the Sammy Nasri one was a good example he's, his uh, agents and there's about three of them wanted about four and a half five million pounds to sort of complete the deal and Ferguson and Gill just just vetoed that because they just felt it, was, it wasn't what they were prepared to do and some would some would argue that was the right thing to do. Others would argue it's a sort of a um, uh, an, an unfortunate, um, unnecessary evil in modern day football. Um, and I think Ed Woodward. I think he's. I mean, he's a smart sort of bullish character. I think he came in hoping to sort of continue in that vein, but with his eyes wide open. Um, and to a degree he sort of did that I think um, at the start of the this summer they had a deal in, in all in place all agreed for Thiago Alcantara to join from from Barcelona uh, that had all been sort of set up by the previous re- regime um, Moyes uh, felt that he wanted longer to, longer to look at him and, and said said not for now and four weeks later he signed for Bayern Munich so I think for a lot of people at the club that they felt that that sort of put them on the back foot from the start and they never really recovered and, and as, the, as the summer sort of progressed it did become more obvious that Edward Wood was consulting an ever widening sort of degree of, of people rather than the sort of the close knit circle that they'd used but I don't know if you can I don't know if you can criticise him for, for that for too much I mean Gill had time to sort of grow into that role under Ferguson. He'd had he'd had ten he'd had ten years in the in the job. Um, it was quite a, a unique sort of privileged situation that they almost had him. I just think it as hard as it was for David Moystart, and it was equally as hard for for Ed Woodward. And don't get me wrong, I mean some of the decisions in the in the summer were strange. I mean there was something like a three week 
delay between ending all interest in Cesc Fabregas and, and actually bidding for Daniel De Rossi and, and then a week before the window closes they, they bid £6 million less than the release clause in Ander Hanera's contract which is just absolutely harebrained so there were some strange sort of uh, strange sort of decisions in, and Gab's alluded to the matter deal there Chelsea and United almost didn't talk to each other in that deal they had a, an English representative called Colin Pomford who, who pretty much brokered the negotiations along with um, Keir Jarabchin apparently um, so but, but you know they got the deal over the line and I think that's all that United fans will care about I mean there's, there has been some debate in recent years can United actually deliver can they actually deliver sort of top targets and and um, and Edward Wood has, has sort of proved in one sense that he's done that he, he's also got uh, Adam Yanazai to sign a five year contract which I think has been largely overlooked and I do think that a lot of people might dispute this but I do think he was following instruction a lot in the summer uh, and it was just a difficult summer for, for all of them I think they hold their hands up they say they made mistakes you know they wish it had gone differently uh, the key now though is it does put a lot of pressure on this summer and they, they have to get this right because they, for whatever reasons, um, they are in a situation now where they do need to sign four or five five players. There is an open acceptance at the club that is very much what they're doing. I think they're talking about six in, ten out in 12 months. So um, it's going to be uh, interesting. But I, I, the hope is that it was a baptism of fire for them and they've learned some some very big big um, lessons. But the, the, I mean, the interesting thing about the summer with United is that there are great names coming out in terms of people on the shopping list. Help me here, but Pogba, Gundogan, yeah, Vidal, uh, Royce, etc. Yeah. You know, great names from within European football. I can't see these players going to United yeah. if United aren't in the Champions League. Why? You know what? Unless, some of those guys, I can't see them going there at all. And some no. of the names you mentioned. To be perfectly honest, when you said, oh, they had Chago Contra signed up, I'm sure that's what United are telling people. Mm. That's not what I understand. Mm. I understand that both Chago and Sask, and can I name the intermediary's name? You can ask me afterwards. I don't think he, he's kind of litigious, so he doesn't like to be named, but the middleman who they spoke to, I think this guy's never wanted to come. I mean, Sask wanted Chago out so he could be the first mm. sort of uh, backup choice in, in midfield, and Chago wanted to go play for Pep at at Bayern Munich they, they were never realistic targets I mean and, and what would worry me if I was a United fan is that these people seemingly believe oh yeah, yeah. Chaco Alcantara yeah. is dying to come here you know I, 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 think, it, I think it was an enormous naivety in what United tried to do in the summer and, and were surprised that deals didn't happen but I don't think many journalists and many fans were surprised that those yeah. deals didn't happen I doubt the players were either and if they're talking about this summer trying to sign that calibre of player that I mentioned, Mangala from Porto, he's another target. Any time that United are in a bidding war with City, Paris Saint-Germain, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Bayern Munich, they're going to lose unless they do exactly what Paris Saint-Germain have done the last few years, exactly what Man City did when they signed Toure and Silva and players like that by throwing enormous amounts of money and if United aren't in the Champions League they're not in a position to but the, count, the counterpoint to that and you, you mentioned two of the names is after City lost to Tottenham in 2009 and missed out in the Champions League that summer they did go inside David Silva Yaya Torre and Mario Balotelli and at that time particularly they didn't have anything like the sort of the lustre that United do so yes it will take money but City 
their sort of inferior neighbours, so to speak, have proven that it is still Quite possible. Inferior at the moment, are they? No, no, I mean, but at that time, at that time in 2009, obviously, they were still sort of, and you know, you know, United's you know rearview mirror. So it may be relevant in that too that just Yaya Torre was somebody who was as we know, wrongly let go by Barcelona, but who was absolutely slaughtered by the press when he arrived because of the size of his wages and because I heard people describe him as an old man and he was slow and whatever and kind of shows you how I shouldn't judge people on first impressions. And <laughs> David Silva also coming from Valencia, a club that was on the verge of bankruptcy at the time. It's a bit different when you chase targets, I think, at Barcelona. But um, there's a big kind of elephant in the room, certainly for me, which is that I'm, I'm a huge fan of David Moyes. I've had the privilege of spending time with him on several occasions when he was at Everton. And I think I'm just warmly predisposed towards him. But I cannot escape the fact that, and James alluded to it there, that when people say that this United squad is rubbish, that they need to get 10 players out, six guys in, or whatever the opposite is, I'm not buying it. And not just because last season they won the title with 89 points, and to that they've added Fellaini and they've added Yanezai. Um, but simply because I expected a lot more. Um, and I think these are very good players that they still have. They still have some very good players. It's not like all these guys became rubbish overnight. Um, I just want to get a show of hands, and, this, and everybody can join in this, not just United fans, but please try to be objective. Who here thinks that this squad, this season, is worse than last year? I'd say maybe 15%, something like that. I'd love to know why. We'll get to that, but I want to get Andy's view. Do you think that there's... If you were David Moyes' boss, if you were Mr. Woodward, and he came to you and says, boss, I need to get rid of these guys. They're just not good enough. They're playing with me. Would you hardline him and say, hey, you know what? They were good enough for Sir Alex. And on top of that, you've got all these young players there, Kagawa, Jones, Smalling, Cleverly, Sir Alex thought they were good enough. Sir Alex spent a lot of money to buy these players. Why don't you go and keep developing them and make them better? Would you take that line, or would you say, you know what, Dave, I know what you mean. Sir Alex was a freak of nature. He was incredible. You're very good, but not Sir Alex. Here's a lot of money, go buy players. What would you do? Well, I, I wouldn't say uh, over the past two years. If you, if you look at Manchester United over, what, the past four or five years, they've always been there, they've always competed. And if you look at the players that the previous manager added, you know, over the past two or three years. He's only added like one or two. Um, before that, Ashley Young, Phil Jones, Smalling come in, then last season, Kagawa and players like that. And you get, I get asked this question all the time. I turn around and say, well, I'll play in that team. Not a problem to me. Because no. I lost it one year no. by goal difference. Yeah, for sure. Well, if you lose it one year on goal difference, that means you're a good team. Mm. If you win it the season after by, what, 11 points, mm. that means you're an even better team. That's what it looks like to me. And you're so, what, 40 and you could get in this team? I'd, I'd, no, I'm, I'm just training, you know. <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd love to play because I think people have been trying to try knock this Manchester United team f for some time. Uh, not just this year, last year, the year before that. I've been saying, oh, it's not a Manchester United team of this generation or whatever, maybe. But if you end up being the best team after 38 games, you're the best team. It's as simple as that. So if man, this Man United team is not as good as it's been previous years, what does it say about the rest of the teams who have spent absolute fortunes mm. to try and compete with Manchester United? And you're beating them by, what, 12 points? Well, there you go. Yeah. And then, like I said, the season before, you lose it by a goal different. So I, 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 my general thoughts are on this team. I think this team is a very good team. It's a very good team. Yeah, people might say it's not as good as that team or that team, but hey, 
We've all got opinions. Yeah. But they compete every single year to try and win the Premiership in Europe. Unfortunate, very unfortunate last season in Europe. Took out to Real Madrid and a dubious sending off. So it's a team that can get better. Naturally, they're going to bring more players. But I, I do believe it's a team that can get better. You've got younger players coming through, which is very important for Manchester United. You've got to bring young players for at Manchester United. Are you satisfied with the way they've been developing? Or are you expecting... I mean, look, when, when, when you were Smalling's age, you scored a bazillion goals, and I believe you were on the verge of moving to Newcastle for a record amount. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. So this guy's been in England International, Phil Jones as well. They moved for a lot of money. Are they where they where you expect them to be in the development? In their well, career? you, you got to be brutally honest. Manager? You got to be brutally honest. You're not going to be able to bring through five or six plays, i.e., Beckham, Scholes, but Neville's. You're not going to be able to do that every two years, every three years. I mean, so you try, you try and bring in younger players what you believe are going to be good enough. Phil Jones, I think Phil Jones is a very good player. You know, I think when Phil buttons down his position that he's going to play, I think he'd be a very good centre-half. But you're speaking in the future. Is he now yeah. where you think he should be? If, in what position? <laughs> That's the problem, right? In what position? I, I, in a different position I, 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 I do honestly believe he, he will become a very good centre-half. Right. You know, I, I think he's, he's got a bit of a... Um, of a bit of a Phil Neville in him at the moment where he can play numerous positions you know and I think once he buttons down his one position he'd be a very good centre-half Smalling again he plays full-back he plays centre-half and, and when you're at that age if you can try and button down your one position you know and can focus on that of course you're going to improve and of course you can become better players Do you think I mean one of the things I think is quite interesting is that the young players now I would say of you know, they, they would naturally want to look to sort of players above them. And, and in that sort of 26, 27 to 29 year age bracket, I would say there is a vacuum at the club at the moment. When Beckham, Giggs, Scholes, Neville sort of came through, they were looking to Schmeichel, Keane, you know, Ince, you know, obviously. Yeah, you know, yeah, so, well, absolutely. And, and players like that. And, and at the moment, you know, in that 26, 27 to 29 year bracket, you've got Valencia, Nani, Kagawa, who are all not exactly sort of, don't, you know, don't give you sort of great conviction. I mean, they're, they're wrestling with their own sort of form. So I got to jump in here because this is just going to come up. If Nani doesn't give you, you great conviction, can I conclude that he gives David Moyes and Ed Woodward great conviction since they gave him a five year contract in September and he hardly played before? What's that all about? I can only. Do you ask him this? Yeah, I mean, we, have you we, asked him? We, we, we think. Because I the, love that. The, the, the indications are were to, to preserve transfer value, but yeah. that logic doesn't even make any sense. So Because um, teams aren't willing to spend a lot of money well, they, for a guy who's I mean, they were in dialogue to uh, let him go on loan in the final. I mean, it didn't yeah. happen, didn't materialise. The expectation is you'll probably go in the summer. It's a, it is an odd one. But I, I, back to that point, I, I do think that uh, clearly the players who came through in 92 were an exceptional group of players and I'm not comparing the current crop to them but it would be interesting to see if how how the Beckhams and the Giggses and the Skulls' development would have been maybe inhibited or slowed had they had in their 26, 27 to sort of 29 year bracket that sort of group of players sort of guiding them and, and the other thing is the, the bedrock of the defence for the past decade uh, are in the final sort of six months of the contract uh, I mean Rio had a fantastic season last season which probably better than anyone anyone could have expected he's sort of pretty much been put out to pasture now and ever is a victim of playing far too much football I mean it's just absolutely ludicrous that a guy whose game is you know 
up and down, up and down, up and down at 32 is expecting to do that over 50 games a season. I mean, I think it's remarkable really that he's he's maintained it to the level he has for so long. And and uh, and that was obviously unfortunate that they've not been able to get to get a left back in. So my sort of view of those those sort of young players is that yes, maybe they need to take you know greater responsibility, but I don't think they're being helped by that 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 next sort of bracket. The, 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 I, I was just going to say that this is not an era to be investing huge money or faith in young English players. I mean, it is if you want to fill the boxes of homegrown quotas etc and if you want to be seen to be doing it but Man City are having all their success without without young English players I mean Joe Hart yes but without young players well yeah, yeah sure. but, but, but sure. that under 21 team that had Welbeck Cleverly Jones Smalling let's not pretend that was a good generation let's not pretend that is comparable to the Beckham Skulls what good generation? What English players are yeah. you playing for Manchester United or playing for England? Yeah, I, 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 I mean, I mean, an English generation. It's not. It's not a great generation. I don't think. Mm-hmm. I would, but I'd suggest that maybe part of the problem is in the same way. They might not be productive to compare people to Sir Alex. Maybe it's probably not productive to compare compare too many people to that generation of of ninety two. Yeah, because that's freakish. Freaks and outliers, that's, that's freakish. You know. But but then you know was Nicky Butt an exceptional player? Was Phil, I mean, in talent terms, was Phil Neville exceptional in talent terms? Was Gary Neville exceptional in talent terms? It, you know, they all had something about them. I mean, which is a much broader subject, but they all had something about them which. But do, but in saying that, do do you have to be exceptional to for people to look at you and say you're a top player? Mm. No no no. But I'm just saying oh. they, they, they had something about them mentally or or whatever, or the, or maybe that sort of growing up together. It's a winning mentality. That's what yeah. it is. And maybe the, it's easier to have a winning mentality when you play surrounded by great players mm. like Roy Keane and Schmeichel than it is like surrounded by some of the guys they're surrounded with. Now, um, the man with the uh, lumberjack shirt in the back of the uh, room is signaling to me that I need to end the United portion of the discussion. Just for now, we will have a full and comprehensive Q&A. And for the benefit of the uh, two city fans in attendance tonight, <laughs> all the other ones are down the road at the Guardian, um, have a city discussion. So United fans, you know, this is your chance to put city down. How many people here hate Manchester City? All right, there you go. There you go. That's a good one. Twenty-five percent. Andy didn't raise his hand, but you know, you know, you know, I'm just going to say, hate is a strong yeah. word. It's a strong <laughs> word. But one of the big things, obviously, with with Manchester City, it's it's. I think it's difficult to ignore is that this is a story of a club that all of a sudden found itself with nearly limitless access to money, and and I think James, I mean, I know you've written a lot about this. They've They've not just gone out and bought players, they've tried to be a community club, they've been very aware of that, they've won all sorts of awards for this. Um, I don't live in Manchester, you guys all do. Even United fans, do you, I'm just wondering, show of hands, do you think that City have generally tried to be good corporate citizens um, for the city and try to be objective? All right, that's 20, 25%. Would you 30, 35 even? Um, James, they're doing this for a reason, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, I mean let's they don't just want to be somebody's plaything. No, I mean, 
Abu Dhabi is all about success. I mean, they they sort of live and breathe. They want they want success. They don't tolerate failure. They're very very clear about that. But they f- they feel that to be successful over a long period of time, um, it's best to invest from top to bottom. Um, be sort of fully committed. Be, be as transparent as possible. Um, and they've done that. I mean, it is a. I think it's. I think. It, I think what they have done for City has been. It's been nothing short of exceptional. It's been. It's been a remarkable. And people. People will lambast them for chucking loads of money at it and upsetting the wage structures and and all this sort of things. But I think that generally tends to be disillusioned, disaffected fans from other clubs. Um, the the what they have put back into the community, what they are building there, what they're trying to put in place is very impressive. Now, it might not work. It's fine having all this infrastructure, all these facilities, all these great quote, these great great coaches. They're still going to have to unearth the players, uh, and they only need to look o- across the road to know how difficult that is. I mean, what if you had Fletcher, Richardson, O'Shea, cleverly well back in sort of twenty odd years since since the class of '92 came through, and that's for a club who had a huge head start on virtually anyone else. So. This sudden idea that they're going to be able to unearth a Champions League quality player every um, every two seasons is probably far fetched. But um, you know, it's no quick fix. I mean, I think that I mean Chelsea are trying to make sort of changes now, but I think City came with a very very clear vision from the start, and I think it's a I think it's a good um, it is a good contrast. Um, but where it takes them, we'll we'll have to see. Andy, one of the one of the things that from the perspective of the fans, nobody somebody who's never had the opportunity to, to play professionally. What's often difficult to understand is when people make decisions based on money versus the chance to win things versus the chance to win things as a starter on the pitch. Um, I know obviously from, from your own experience, when maybe you weren't the first choice regular anymore at United, you said rather than being a passenger here and getting a whole bunch of medals because you know I'd rather go and, and play somewhere else. Uh, is this something that footballers struggle with from what you've seen? And I'm just thinking about players who've been perhaps moved to City, gotten huge pay rises, have won things, but didn't really get a chance to get on the pitch. I, I think that, that's, that's down to the individual. Um, Football's changed. Football's changed a hell of a lot. And if, and if you notice now, there could be a lot of players that are not in the first team and end up signing a new four-year contract. And you turn and say, well, you only play like 15 games a season at most. So some say, well, I'm prepared to stay and pick up a nice paycheck at the end of the month and get 15 games. And if we win the league, I've got another medal and all that. But I think that's all down to the individual. The individual. If you, if you look at the Man City team now, Pellegrini's gone there, taken the shackles off, and he's played a team that he believes is going to win. Now, the English boys are not playing. Lescott, um, Milner, uh, Rodwell. Richards. Richards. Because he's looking, he's looking at that and saying to himself, this, this is my best team, and I'm going to play them week in, week out. And regardless of what anyone else thinks, I'm going to keep playing them. And that's, that's how you get there in the end. Um, but not playing English players. No, I'm not saying not playing English players, but if, if you look at these guys, just, just like the other day, he, he plays Chelsea, he plays the centre-half in centre midfield. You turn around and say to yourself, well, can James Milner not play there? Can Rodwell not play there? They weren't, they, were, they weren't fully fit, though, he was saying. They, were, they weren't. I'll tell you what, if, if they're not fully fit, I would have a central midfield player play central midfield 
yeah. Then I know he's, he's he's played midfield numerous times for Bayern and whatever. He said in the end, I don't want to play central midfield. If someone doesn't want to play central midfield, you play someone who's not hundred percent fit. Yeah, I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah. I'm just saying that, that, that was their that was their explanation for uh, it. Oli, there's also a factor here that people people focus on that, but those four players that um, that Andy just cited. To be fair, except for Milner, they didn't play very much under the previous manager. No. And I think I'm right in saying every single one of those guys, except for Rodwell, was bought actually two men. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Years ago, and these mm-hmm. are people who came, signed enormous contracts, because when you sign a big contract, you know, you basically have to take a pay cut to go elsewhere, or you have like a, a Gareth Barry situation where they just kind of, you know, let you go. And, and he's done it, and he's done very well as a result, obviously, at Everton. Um, does that come into it, too, that, um, you know, as Andy said, Pellegrini wants to play his best team. These are dudes he inherited who the club can't really get rid of and gives them a chance of training, but ultimately he's going to want to stick with his guys. Well, so speaking to people at Manchester City, you, you ask about Rodwell, you, you say, well, will Rodwell go when Javi Garcia comes in, when Fernandinho comes in, when Fernando probably comes in in, in the summer from Porto? And they tell you, well, there's the homegrown thing. He, he's a homegrown player. He fills a, a slot. And there's a there's an advantage to have. I mean, you, City have to have eight homegrown players, and they include a 36 year old third choice keeper, which is Richard Wright. They include, help me here, there's Dedrick Boyata, who's Derek not even Brant, English, yeah. Gail Clichy, who's not English, Rodwell, Richards, Milner, Hart. I think that's. I think this, this is, is it. it. Yeah. So they have to have English players, and. They have to keep English players, and Rod, you know, Rod, Rodwell went there really on a false promise. You could say he's not really kicked on, and I think that would be fair. I don't think he even really kicked on at Everton, the way most of us probably hoped he he's would. He's never been fit, yeah. in yeah. fairness, yeah. is he? And but, neither is Michael Richards. But, but, but he was signed to be sort of fourth choice central midfielder, and he ticked a box because he was English. And I, I mean, when you look at that homegrown rule, that is exactly what it wasn't meant to. Do it. It was meant to get, get these guys on the pitch. It was meant to get English players playing. I mean, I, God, I, again, I'm going off on a broader issue and shut me up. But it's you know it, that that rule is unhealthy. I, I remember there was a game England played in Switzerland 
2010, it was just after the World Cup, and there were about six or seven City players on the pitch by the end. Adam Johnson, Lescott, Barry, Hart, Milner, Richards, probably six. And I think City, play, City fans were quite proud of that. But I think they're more proud of having a team that of mostly foreign players that win, that win yeah. and have got a great chance of going to Barcelona next, you know, in a couple of weeks and and getting a result. I mean, it, it would be utopia, really, if they had what United had back in 99, which was a European Cup winning team full of Mancunian players, or half full of Mancunian players. But I think times have changed. I think it's very, very difficult to do that. And if City are trying to get English players in their team, I think it's very difficult because they are improving far more than English players are improving the the bar there is set so high that it's going to be very difficult for any English player to get in the team unless they buy Wilshire or Barkley or something like that and you could say would would they get in the team of course it's going to be difficult because ultimately however you look at it you've got to buy your success so you buy your success you don't care where he's from in the world if he can come to this football club if he can make it better we're going to buy him and they've got no time to wait for the English players and when you're putting that amount of money into a project why should you wait for the English players no. because like you just touched on there in Abu Dhabi the winners they want to win they want it now tomorrow's not good enough we want it today and, mm. and that's the way it's going to be but in saying that that was Chelsea's blueprint when Abramovich took over I know he brought a lot of foreign I mean a lot of English players to try and bring the academy through but if you, if you look at their academy you turn around and say so what players yeah. actually come through Chelsea's academy since the Brambridge has come and said we're going to buy the English players and bring them through and bring them into the first team no one's prepared well, to do that because they need a success now yeah. a few uh, on the back of this I mean uh, you can reveal this now I wouldn't mind but uh, about 18 months ago I spoke to somebody at a mid-table club who was very keen on, a, on an English Manchester United player who cost a fair bit of money wasn't um, wasn't playing every week and, and he really wanted to play every week and it was more important to him to play every week than to uh, than to be at Manchester United um, but he just made too much money he was like a slave to his to his contract because he would have had to take for this club to afford him he would you know they were willing to give him a much longer deal but he would have had to incentive laid and so on and in the end you know he said I'm scared that in 20 years I might go bankrupt if I don't do this and I'm worried about my future. And it's difficult for people to understand when you, know, you read about footballers' wages and the papers and stuff about how this could happen. I'm wondering, is there an issue there as well that these guys at City that we talk about, you know, they're, they're at City, so they, they, most of them cost quite a bit of money. They're all on good wages, and it's, other clubs simply cannot afford them. Yeah, I, I, like I said, we're, we're all different individuals. Um, I can only talk from my experience. One of the reasons I left Manchester United was I, I wanted to play. Right. I wanted to play week in, week out. I got to 30 and... And you'd already won your treble, so... I, I won, but I, I still wanted to win and I still wanted to turn out on Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday. You get to 30 and people start saying, mm, he's, he's getting on in age. I said, well, I can start at Man United and I love Man United. Man United is my football club and I can... Sit, uh, I had three years left on my contract and pick my money up and say, oh, fantastic, brilliant, beautiful. No, no, that's, that's not me. I, I, want people to look, I want people to look at me and say, he's gone out of here today, he's worked his socks off and he's earned his money. Now, I'm not saying everyone's going to be like me, 
had the same chat yesterday with uh, Robbie Fowler. You know, Robbie Fowler said one of the reasons he left Liverpool, Julia, he wasn't playing, he could have stayed at Liverpool. He said, so I want to play. So you're going to have quite a few players who actually want to play, regardless of the money, just want to play football, or you're going to have a few players that say, well, life's good. Did you regret it after a few months under Graham Souness, though? <laughs> I found it tough. I found it very, very tough, because when you talk about being a height of your profession and a football club that is run so professionally, day in, day out, you travel, your security is this, everything, you know what to do from going into training and seeing that one cone in the middle of the training pitch was being there every single day I was at the football club. It was tough. But then that's when you become a, a true professional to yourself and say, so right, I've got to get my head down because I'm doing it for me. You know, it's, been, it's about being a professional. Something I'm curious about just on the back of this, and soonish we'll go to a break and then we'll have a whole Q&A, but um, when you played for Manchester United, there might have been games where you didn't play particularly well, perhaps, but then you had teammates who were so good and like, you know, the assist with Scholes was perfect and it was right there. That's, what, that's when you're playing a good team. Exactly. Can you just talk a little bit about the dynamic when all of a sudden you're playing with guys who are nowhere near as good, you feel like you need to do more, You've got, you don't have four or five superstars, anyone who can you know, rise up on the day and carry you. Does it somehow make it more, more rewarding in, in some yeah, ways? It's a, it's, a, it's a bigger challenge for you. Because you're not a passenger. Yeah, you, you can't afford to be a passenger. Uh, and you're saying to yourself, right, if you're trying to get the rest of your teammates to get up to your level, which they want to do, because if you've got a lot, a lot of young boys in your team, they're looking at you and saying, I want to play for Manchester United in two or three years. I need to get to that level. And they try to get to that level, to get to where you are. And I, I took great pleasure out of that. I really did. That So many players want to get to the level, sit down and talk to you about, what would you like playing for Man United? Do you have to do this? Do you have to do that? It's, it's a great feeling to know that so many young players want to get to play at the highest level, not to say, well, yeah, I'm here and I just want to play at this level. I, I think it's, it's a great honour when you do that. So you're signalling to me, Skinner, does it, this means break? All right, okay. All right, so we're, we're going to take a, a little intermission and afterwards, Q&A is basically wide open. You can ask us whatever you like, um, perhaps keep the political questions at a minimum. We've cleared it with Andy before. He, I think he's, I think you're, you're fair to say you're, you're, you're likely to abstain, yes? So we won't go there. Earlier, I asked you whether you thought this United squad uh, was, was worse, was markedly worse than last year's or roughly the same. Um, I was asked, by, and you can, it's the gentleman here in the uh, second row, with the beard, um, I had, there's more than one, okay. But with the beard, without the glasses. You asked us whether the team was better this year than it was last year or the same. I thought uh, a more valid question was, is this a, a top quality team uh, this year? And, you know, maybe it performed well last year, but that might have been the Ferguson factor. Do people think it is actually a very good top team? Okay, so show of hands, and I'm assuming you mean in terms of talent, that people look at the table and see that they're in seventh place, and obviously you'd think the six teams ahead of them. But in terms of talent, is this a good United side? All right, so what, what, what do you say? Like, what, 25% think this is actually good? 
raise my hand too? It depends what you mean by good. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't think I don't think United's team last season, as daft as it would sound, was as good as the Premier League table made it look. Man City finished with 78, 79 70 points, something like that. Yeah, Chelsea underachieved again in the league and got 75 or something. Arsenal in transition, Liverpool in transition, Spurs under a new manager. Can, can I ask you a question? What does transition actually mean? <laughs> <laughs> it's, what, it's, it's, what, it's what United are now. Is it? no, it's, 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 you know, teams go, teams go kind of up and down and... and you know when a team you know when a team is emerging from a spell and it's ready to be competitive again and I think United have, have had this remarkable knack over the past 20 years of being in transition like in 95-96 and winning stuff Arsenal have been in transition and improving and then up and down and not winning stuff and it's I think transition is a is a real concept, but yeah, so, how, how, so how long does it, does it take to actually come out of transition? Because you just mentioned Arsenal <laughs> being up and down, so are they still in transition now. You, 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 you mentioned I'd, Chelsea. I'd, I'd say Arsenal are in a have reached a period of stability where they're able to sort of improve now because there's been less comings and goings, and they haven't lost their best player like like they have done. Um, no, that was, it, that was their choice. Nazari. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, it, but it becomes transition. I mean, I, I, I find is that's trans- the ultimate discriminant, right? Is there are certain teams who, because they're big clubs, never or almost never lose a player against the manager's wishes. Um, I'm thinking of Manchester United, and Sir Alex may deny this, but um, I think he probably might have been happy to keep Paul Ince. Um, but that's maybe the last guy they lost. Ronaldo. Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> that Ronaldo guy was pretty good, yeah. Bebe. Um, Bebe, yeah. But, you know, you're, you're, you're talking... <laughs> From Cristiano back to, to Ince, you know, you're going back... Paul Pogba. Sorry? Paul Pogba. Okay, I'm talking about players who actually contributed to the first 11. <laughs> um, but in terms of, you know, that, that's one in 20 years. If you look at Arsenal, you know, it's, it's Nasri, it's Sask, it's... It's Van Persie. But like I said, that's that's by choice. It's not by choice. No, I, they, they wanted to keep these guys. So okay, if, they wanted to, these right. guys left. So you you want to keep these guys now? How do you how do you keep your top players from going to one of your top rivals? You buy better players to make your team better to win championship, and then your players stay. Now, okay. Robin Van Persie ends up leaving Arsenal for what reason? Because he didn't get a contract. Now, if Arsenal. By better players, so Robin Van Persie can play in a better team and also win the league. Would Robin Van Persie say, "Well, I'm going to leave now"? Right, but to, to be fair, I'd say that applies to Arsenal because we all know that they're sitting on a giant wad of cash. For most clubs, how many people here support a team that's outside the top six? There you go. So it's not a no. No, come on. I, 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 these are just the United fans again. What? <laughs> There's a dental looser all he can. Um, but but you, you take my point here is you can be a team that's outside that and you can try to build and you develop young players and you have them, but then all of a sudden you lose your star and then you're transitioning again. And I, I agree with you. Arsenal don't have that excuse, but for most teams they have that. Because United come along and be like, all right, Phil Jones? It's, it's, it's by choice. It's, to, to, for me personally, any top team that sells one of their top players that's by their choice. Because 
I can't be if I'm a top team I can't be selling my best player to the team that I know can pick me to the championship and all he wants is from my, a manager to say I'm going to bring in XYZ and bring in XYZ to make us better so we can compete you can't be sitting on cash if you're not competing that's why Nasri did Nasri say I want to leave Arsenal because I'm going to Man City because Man City are going to finish lower than Arsenal well they'll pay me a lot more money too in Nasri's case but yeah but as they say, if you win, you're going to make money anyway. Now, we uh, throw it to, uh, to questions. And as I said, just about anything is fair game. Um, that's Jerome in the back. Um, spells his name, his last name with a Y. Um, but, Jerome, just raise your hand. They'll come to you with the microphone so we can all, we can all hear it. Yes, the... Hi, my name's Mark I uh, don't support Man United or Manchester City. Uh, I, I found myself uh, feeling sympathy for David Moyes when I heard the panel's comments earlier. Um, Oliver started off by saying that uh, he should be his own man when he comes to uh, Manchester United. But latterly, he, he said that really it was an impossible job to follow Alex Ferguson. And uh, Nowadays, you need to be a diplomat when you, I think, a little bit when you take over from somebody like Alex Ferguson. But if you change the name slightly and say, instead of uh, Alex Ferguson, talk about Don Revy, and instead of Mourinho, talk about Brian Clough, you can see what happened when the, somebody came on to be the old man. It was a disaster. Mm. And uh, I think it might have been the same at Manchester United. He didn't last very long, did he, at uh, Leeds United all those years ago? So, so your implication is that you cannot replace... You can't replace somebody who's been there 26 years just like that. You've got to tread carefully. And I think that's what David Moyes has, has felt. And uh, it, it is, a, we talk about transitions, it's a transition. Right, and I don't think anybody expected Man United to carry on and win the league by 11 points again with Alex Ferguson leaving. Hmm. There's no Liverpool fans on this panel, but I'm sure somebody can tell me how many years Shankly was there. 15? Right. And the guy who replaced them did pretty well. He did, but but then the the, the difference with um, the difference with Shankly to Paisley was was it was internal. It was very much a kind of continuation. I I think United looked at that and thought, let's kind of do that same evolution thing. But they didn't have anyone internal. They, they couldn't turn to Mike Phelan to do the job. They, Brian McLaren, Carlos Carlos had, had gone. Well, I, I don't think any of those guys. Because Ferguson was so domineering, I, I don't think any of those guys had really built up that level of authority within the, within the club. And I think they went for well, Ferguson went for Moyes because he, he viewed him as the the closest thing to a sort of continuity con candidate. But then was he a continuity candidate? Because obviously one of the controversial things, uh, were you guys on this, he changed the backroom staff. I mean, I, I, I hear from United fans who follow closely that all of a sudden he got rid of those guys and he brought in a bunch of, I'm quoting here from somebody who tweeted me earlier today, a bunch of losers who'd never won anything from Everton. <laughs> for level, for, uh, for level one stuff. Not as a coach. Yeah. I think, I mean... I mean, that, that, does that matter? I mean, it, but it's, it, it's a slight misconception because he did, he absolutely wanted Annie Mullenstein to stay and, and there is some dispute about, I mean, Mullenstein... Um, says he wasn't offered the assistance job. Moyes claims he was offered the assistance job. So there's some dispute there. Um, 
so he After did. After four years relegated, will he still? No, I, look, look. So some some coaches should never be managers or whatever. But but Mullenstein, Mullenstein was a was a good first team coach. He's very 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 well respected first team coach. Um, so there was an attempt there. So I think I think some of the criticism Moyes has got for sort of changing the backroom staff it's like it's all, almost been construed as if he came in there and thought sod this out, out, out with you lot I'm, I'm bringing in every single every single sort of uh, uh, new member that I want and it wasn't quite like that really so I think that's a little little bit harsh on him and, and you know some of these guys um, who, who left when Sir Alex left uh, you would have worked under them um, do you think it would have been viable for them to stay do you think oh, okay. if you well, of course, you look at it and say you'd love them to stay, you know, because Manchester United is, is a machine, you know, and one leaves, you'd like want to stay and basically see it through and continuity. Continuity in football is massive. Uh, so you look like Ryan Giggs. Ryan Giggs has stepped up to a coaching capacity now, as well as still playing. You look at that and say that's a great move because he knows what Manchester United is all about, you know, and. You spoke about David Moyes, you know, looking at senior players and saying, right, I've got to take my lead off those. He looks at Ryan Giggs and that's where you take your lead off people like that. So it would be nice to have definitely have backroom staff around who've been there, done it, gone through the tough times as well as the good times and now it'll turn things around. Good evening, guys. My name's Paul Hughes. I'm a Liverpool fan, so it's probably just me and a few others here. Perhaps just one. <laughs> There's one other here in the front row. Oh, uh, Several, there well, you I'm go. Sure hands. It's more, more, more than City fans. Um, obviously, there's been a lot of talk about whether United are a better team or a worse team than last year, and whether, in fact, they're even a good team. Um, I obviously have an interest in this because Liverpool have definitely pushed on, but are they the most improved team in the top four, or are City, Arsenal and Chelsea just as improved? I'd like the panel's views on that, if possible. Um, Onto very quickly for my part, I, I think um, City are far improved. I think Chelsea are a better side right now as well. Very briefly, anybody want to? No, I'd agree, I'd agree with that. And I think Arsenal are much improved. And, and as you say, Liverpool are vastly improved. You look at Liverpool's points over the last three seasons, they've been a sort of... I know, I'd be plucking numbers off the top of my head, but, but, but they've been a you know, seventh, eighth team over the last few years. And their form is now that of a very good top 40 and for United to catch them now looks like it will take United to improve massively and Liverpool to dip massively because Liverpool are obviously improved Everton, you have to say Everton have, have, have improved enormously and I think that's what pe- people probably didn't expect when, um, when Moyes left but Martinez has, has sort of compounded this sort of Negativity towards Moyes really, because he, he's made he's made Moyes look bad by taking Everton forward as well as he could. I, I don't want to pile on to, 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 to Moyes. No, um, since you mentioned Everton, Ross Barkley, we have a situation now where I, I read some of you guys in the English media and it's like, you know, oh, is he the best player, best young player in Europe? Blah blah blah. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, we saw glimpses of him when he was 18 at, uh, at Everton. And then it seemed like Moyes wanted no part of him. He loaned him out all over the place. He didn't see him as somebody who was ready to step in in any case. Um, are you surprised with that? He, um, is there a good reason why? Well, he, he had that, he had that um, very bad leg, leg injury, leg, a leg break, I think it was. And um, they felt at that time, before the injury, that he could quite easily be a central midfielder. 
in the sort of classic sense and also very much a number 10 and after that they felt that after that injury they felt it affected him quite terribly and that um, and that it, it impacted on his ability to um, to do the sort of classic central midfield role I, I don't know the extent of the detail of that but that is obviously what, that's what's been re- relayed to me uh, and that and that Moy saw him very much as a, um, a number ten and only only a number ten, which is which is no bad thing. And um, uh, and, and I think from speaking to Martin, as he he views him very much as he views him very much as that as that role. And I think the difference is that Martinez has entrusted him in a in a, in a crucial position in a team, and they play that sort of four two three one formation that a lot of teams seem to play now and the number 10 role is absolutely central to, to everything that sort of happens and, and I think the you seem some players go out on loan go to the championship go to league one and struggle and it doesn't mean that they're, they're a bad player they're just a lot a lot more suited to the, to, to the top level I know it sounds a strange thing to say but some players are just more suited to playing at the uh, at high standard and I think Barkley has fitted into that and I think he's embraced He's embraced the responsibility. He's embraced, um, uh, uh, you know, he's obviously great, great, great belief in it, and it's it's working out for him. But it's very early days. I mean, we're terrible in this country, I know, and we're guilty of this of, of, of jumping on and lauding yeah. early praise. But it, it is it's promising. Immediately acknowledged, and all sat in there. Well, you got a lot of attention, obviously, as, as a young age as well. Is it something that I mean, what James just described? Is it? Should we kind of pump the brakes a little bit on, on some of these players? Should we? Oh, not many. <laughs> not many. I, I just think, you know, we, we have a talented kid in England and everything gets heaped on him. He's the English Pele, he's going to be the Diego Maradona, he's going to be the best player in the world. And a couple of years down the road, the same people who put him on that pedestal are the same people who are knocking him. Yeah. So it's letting him progress the way he's going to progress wishing him that he's going to become a better player and learn the game a lot more than when he because when, when you're a kid you play with everything you play with edge you're not under any restrictions you go out there you do what you want to do and then when you start thinking about it a bit more as you get older that's when your problems come because you've got to start fitting into a framework and you've got to play with more responsibilities and it's, it's tough it's tough being a good player in England when you're young because you get everything well I, I just see that Adnan Yanazai being nominated for BBC Young Sports Personality of the Year when he started two games more than all he came for United, I, I thought it was, it was just... Uh, he was the only one I'd heard of on the shortlist. But, exactly. Uh, next question. Jerome, I'm sorry, do you want to, perhaps just to expedite, make sure we get as many questions as possible. When the question's over, just hand it to the next person who wants to ask a question. Yep, all ears. Hello, my name's Charlotte and I'm an Everton fan. Um, my question is, uh, for the panel, we often talk about football in terms of economics, but since we're at the National Football Museum, I wondered what you all thought about football's contribution to heritage and local and national identities and a sense of history. There was, was the question in that was, uh, I heard the last bit, but I just actually quite what the question was. So we talk about football in terms of economics, uh, but what does the panel think about its contribution to heritage and history? Ollie? Absolutely enormous and completely underappreciated and underestimated. Because if you think of 
you know, what's the most important institution in, for example, Coventry? I mean, I know they have the cathedral. <laughs> They've got a cathedral, but the cath- you know, cathedral's not for everybody, is it? God I know football's people. not for everybody, but, but <laughs> f- football will always be there. Will religion always be there? Football is just, I mean, I, I've got a huge sort of um, bee in my bonnet about this at the moment, but, uh, about clubs being just treated like dirt. I mean, we've seen Man United are being exploited to a certain extent with a, well, very, very large extent, but are, are surviving. Um, with the Glazers' ownership, you see utterly cynical ownership creeping in all over the country. You see, I mentioned Coventry, Coventry being made to play in Northampton because the hedge fund owners have got a dis- disagreement with the council over ground rent. You see Leeds United, um, well, God knows what, you know, they've had 12 years or 13 years of bad ownership and have been going down the pan trying to recover and, and more turbulence ahead and th- there are so many examples of this Blackburn, Venkies, it's just I personally I think a sort of preservation order needs to be put out around clubs because I think they are the I think they are the most important thing to an awful lot of people. It's, it's an interesting point because um, I mean one of my favourite quotes actually comes from uh, uh, an ad for Patek Philippe, uh, which is a very expensive watch for those who don't know, but it basically says like, you know, you could never actually own a football club, you simply look after it for the next generation, and, and I buy into that. They were talking about it for a fancy Swiss watch, which I don't agree with, because I think they're ugly watches, but um, <laughs> but in Germany, for example, there's, there's a rule, the, the so-called 50 plus one rule, which some of you may be familiar with, but basically it says that 50% plus one shares of the club have to be on the club members, which is basically anybody can buy a membership. Um, and so a shareholder coming in could only buy up to 49%. One of the side effects of that is that if I'm Sheikh Mansour, for example, or Roman Abramovich, or Mike Ashley, or Martin Edwards, I'm not going to, or actually it was Martin Edwards' dad, right? About you, Louis Edwards, the um, butcher. Um, I'm not going to go and buy a football club if I can't go and run it, right? And if I have to go and defer to all you commoners out there. Um, so there's good and bad. And I'd just love to have see a show of hands here. How many people think that a 50 plus one rule, so in other words, a rule that would basically bar a lot of wealthy investors from buying a majority share of the football club, how many think that that would be a good idea? So you guys are with the rich people, you'd be all the ones. Oh, sorry, am I going to put my hand up? Well, Ollie's voting, you can vote. Oh, right, okay. You don't have to. I agree with that. Okay, no, no, it's it's interesting because it's, I mean, for me personally, I'm all for the process of democracy. It's not not a view I personally share. and, And... I don't want to make this just about City and Chelsea, but obviously they're two teams that have become enormous beneficiaries. You could make the point that had a 50% plus one rule been in effect for City, then you know they well Chelsea would be bankrupt right now probably. Um, although actually Ken Bates would have never come, so they'd probably be I don't know somewhere in the second flight. Um, so it out there to another question or somewhere else. Hi, I'm uh, Son. I'm a United fan. Um, I'm the, sorry. I'm a United fan. On the game a few weeks ago, there was quite a heated debate about Rooney's contract, mainly from yourself, Gab, um, yep. saying it was a logical conclusion to give him all the caveats that he wanted. 
in the emotional element of football as a fan would you not rather have a player who wanted to play for your club and wanted to be there good and the bad rather than hold the club over a barrel every two years if it was your club what would you want I get a little bit cynical about this players who want to pay for the club there are players who've taken pay cuts um, to play for their cuts for, for their clubs um, but there's not very many of them um, I think these people are professionals and they have to do what's best for their career. From United's perspective, I said, I don't think there's a great market for Wayne Rooney out there at the prices that we're seeing and at the wages that he's on. So I think United are playing this correctly. Just sit tight and you'll get the money. You, you'll get him to resign for you know a, a number that you're comfortable with. Um, the same thing that happened last time when everybody was sure when he made that statement about Sir Alex and lack of ambition or whatever. Um, the reality is you didn't have Bayern Munich showing up with 50 million saying we must have Wayne Rooney. It just doesn't happen. Um, and you can give a different perspective on that, perhaps on on this whole notion. Obviously, fans see you. You're wearing the club shirt. You're loyal. You know why can't you be happy with uh, you know 200 grand a week or whatever? Why shouldn't you be happy with 200 grand a week? Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. Like I was just saying, it's people on 15 grand a year and they're happy. You know, I don't know. I said football. However you look at football, football is a, it's a business. It's a massive, massive business. It's a short career and as players, naturally you want to try and make as much money as you can before you retire. But you've you got to look at the fans and you've got to appreciate where the fans are coming from because, I mean, the, the fans are always going to support the football teams as simple as that. So, yeah, you, you do get despondent if you hear such and such is considering leaving or whatever me. But I think it always runs its natural course in the end. You know, if someone's going to stay or someone's going to leave, and nine, nine times out of ten, there's not many people who want to leave Manchester United. Uh, there's loads of shenanigans and all that. But when it comes to actually leaving Manchester United, there's not many who want to go. All right, the man in the lumberjack shirt says we have to end it. I'm going to overrule him. So I have one more question. Um, <laughs> Hi, uh, my name's Ian, uh, Man United fan. I'm interested in the <coughs> panel's opinion on um, tactical developments. Um, they always seem to, at the World Cup, there always seems to be a sort of a watermark in players' performances, team shapes, etc. Um, and it was the thinking of Juan Mata being able to defend that got me thinking about it. You know, do you, would you expect a central defender to, who's got signed to be scoring 15 goals a season as much as you would expect Mata to be defending? I'm wondering what the panel's thoughts are on sort of the next tactical development, sort of positioning. The only ones that I've seen that haven't got a, a, a moniker yet are central defenders and the goalkeeper. You know, what, what is the, the next thing that your panel think that might be sort of in the offing? I asked um, Roberto Martinez this about two years ago and he, he was saying well we are this is when he was at Wigan he said we're in the process of moving towards what he described as a 3-4-3 three, three, um, which I'd say was fairly successful even though they got relegated um, and he was of the opinion that you know, I think Napoli were doing it at the time he was, he was saying that one or other you know, another of the Italian teams was doing it at the same time he was of the opinion that there'll be this enormous move towards that over the next couple of years and that's not happened but he was also saying that once we do that we already have to be thinking about what the next step is and that struck me at the time as being yeah, very exciting but I, I, I don't really see these, um, is, these is, things ever, ever so is, is that what Ajax were playing? what in no, mid-90s was yep. sort of three 
three one three or something. Is, is that what Barcelona play every week? You said you can't reinvent the, reinvent the wheel, Andy. Me personally, yeah. of course you can. If you've got the personnel mm. to do it, you, you look at that Ajax team and you say, oh, what, are, what are they actually doing? The, the, the sort of 70s team or the yeah. mid-90s team? 70s team and the 90s team. Yeah. Because you, you look at those teams, you say to yourself, wow. You, know, you, you look at Barcelona, the way Barcelona started playing out and then just pushed the full-backs right out the pitch. Yeah. The centre-half was virtually all right up the pitch and the same one, you play one-on-one now. Mm. Because if you've got the personnel to do it, you're going to do it. Now, nine times out of ten, a lot of teams don't have the personnel to do it because Barcelona can do it and Ajax could do it because they kept the ball, the ball retention. That's why you can do it. And you believe in your centre saying, well, I'll match, my, I'll match the centre forward 1v1 and it'll get on with it. When you've got the players to do it, you can do it. But if you haven't got the players, you can talk about all these systems, but mm-hmm. it makes no difference. I think your point on the, the centre half is interesting. I mean, Gab might sort of shoot me down there and Klopp and Germany might have abandoned it, but I'm sure there was a time for it. I'm sure there was a spell where Matt Hummels was sort of playing at centre half, but he was having this sort of free reign to sort of join the midfield and almost the attack at times. And, he'd, and I think even in the City game when they absolutely wiped the floor with City in the one old one old draw in the Champions League, he was just it was a, it was a, it was a remarkable sort of performance, and he was all over the place and. I've obviously Dortmund have, re- have regressed a little bit, and that might have changed now. And I don't, I don't know whether it's quite embraced at Germany, but I thought that might be something that would move on. It doesn't quite seem to have uh, taken off, and maybe that's a, maybe that's a reflection that, you know, we're not perhaps not in a golden age of, of centre halves well, at the moment, capable of that. I think it's down the head. I think what you said about you don't reinvent anything, but there are certain cyclical things. And I think back to the late '90s, and even in the Premier League, you know country of Neil Ruddick. Um, I can think of Rio Ferdinand, I can yep. think of young Rio, Ledley Frank King. LaBeouf, Ledley King. You had ball playing central defenders. Even the ones today, even the ones who are very good, like the Vidic, even the ones who could do it, they're generally not asked to do it. Part of it to do the, the fact that a lot of teams have a deep line central midfielder. Part of it is because so much of the build up play comes via the fullbacks and it tends to become a bit of a self fulfilling prophecy. I'd rather expect that maybe the next innovation will be teams now trying to produce ball-playing midfielders again who maybe have the option of bypassing an ever more congested midfield or coming into midfield. And I think when you talked about Hummels, and by the way, he's not doing that anymore, partly because people have realized that he's actually really, really slow. He's very good and he really struggles to get up and down, partly obviously because he had that long injury. I think that that's exactly what Klopp was trying to do. Um, so, I mean, watch this space. That could be totally wrong. So, so are, are you saying they're, they're going to do away from the holding midfield player? Go back to I think majestic have, midfield players? You'll have more of an all-rounder. Or you have two all, more, more, I guess, all-rounder midfielders. And I think there'll be less of this obsession with having numbers in midfield. You can get the numbers from um, a, a central defender joining in the attack. Yeah, yeah. I think there's going to be, you know, the stats were by fullbacks get the most touches, which was the case for a long time. Most fullbacks today aren't Gary Neville or Branislav Ivanovic types. They're basically people who a generation ago might have been wingers playing at the back. I think that's going to possibly change. With Mourinho, for example, he's got people like to have fullbacks who are primarily defenders. So that's just. And there aren't many centre forwards like Andy. You know, there aren't many who are what you would call natural goal scorers. You, you, there are Ronaldo and Messi scoring billions of goals, but they are not 
No, no, and, and if, if if there is, that's why it's such a big premium mm-hmm. on them. That's why you'd have four of the top teams fighting out for that one individual because mm-hmm. everyone wants a goal scorer. Everyone wants, I don't know, someone who's prepared to stay 18 six yard out and just tap the ball in. Arsenal was screaming out for one a few mm-hmm. years ago. Mm-hmm. Brought in Eduardo. I mean, uh, that's what his name was it. Yeah, he yeah, broke his leg, yeah. and then he broke his leg. And then Arsenal went away from that. Mm. And you look at the way Arsenal play, you turn around and say, so if Arsenal had someone who's prepared to stay in the box and score goals, where could they actually have got to? Mm. Actually, it's, it's curious just to end this on this note because I was speaking to somebody who was a scout uh, today and, and telling me you were coming on. And when you mentioned that there's a Randy Cole type goal scorers, and I said, if we were to compare him to somebody today, and he said, I, you know, the top ones. Compare you to Falcao in terms of the type of player. Would you see yourself in? in Why not? Fifty million. Let me know that was coming. Ladies and gentlemen, Andy Cole is a big hand, and also Dean Stucker and Ali K. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.